as you have probably noticed, it is December, and this is our first week looking at the Christmas story together. We're calling this little series Prepare Him Room, wondering what are some of the practices that we can engage in to make room in our hearts, in our lives, for Jesus? Most of us have this sense that maybe we should be making more room than he currently occupies, that it, that it isn't easy to make room, maybe especially in this season, at least not the way we should. And on one level, that's kind of a strange thing because the airbrushed baby Jesus that's kind of floating around this time of year doesn't really seem all that hard to accommodate. Like what's tough about making room for sweet, no crying he makes Jesus who came to bring love and warmth and good feelings and parties, peppermint lattes, great deals on electronics. Like that doesn't seem like a challenge to make room for. Well, I mean, maybe making room for the electronics might, but not making room for that kind of Jesus. But on another level, we know, most of us, that it is a challenge to make room for Jesus. That at some level, he is a bit of an imposition on us. Maybe especially this time of year. Certainly on our time, our attention, but also on our way of life. There's one type of life that we would naturally live, and and in some significant ways, following Jesus gets in the way of that life. Jesus is an imposition, like, like a stranger barging into our comfortable, settled existence, asking to be welcomed. In Luke 2, we hear this. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, or census in some translations, and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was betrothed, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. Joel Green points out that given the smallness of Bethlehem at the time, it isn't terribly likely that there were commercial hotels or inns in the town like we would think of when we when we hear about an inn. So this is more likely communicating that whomever of Joseph's relatives the family was staying with was was out of room in the main house, that Joseph and Mary were down far enough on the totem pole that they had gotten pushed out of the main house, out of the guest room, and and into the the place where the animals were living, whether that was in a downstairs area, as this was somewhat typical in the day, or, or some other building entirely. But either way, the image is of God becoming human and being born with the animals, more stranger than family. From the very beginning of Jesus's life, we are clued into the reality that Jesus is just as often, maybe more often, treated as a stranger, an imposition, someone disrupting the normal way of life and pushed off to the side. He's more often treated that way than he is welcomed as who he really is. Matthew tells us that when the wise men from the east leave after seeing Jesus, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And then skipping down a few verses. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. 
And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the voice of Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Jesus is an intruder, an invader into Herod's life, and he's driven off to Egypt because of it, which, not so incidentally, results in Jesus identifying with God's people who also fled for their lives to Egypt once. And there's a consistent refrain in the Old Testament. Whenever God's people are told to welcome and care for the stranger and the foreigner in their midst, which happens a fair amount in the Old Testament, even hundreds of years after their time in Egypt, they are also reminded, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Remember that you were refugees once, dependent on the kindness, the welcome of others. Remember that this is a key part of your history. Jesus's birth story reminds us that not just Israel, but God's self has been a refugee, an immigrant to a strange land. It's something worth reflecting on in our day, that the family into which we have been welcomed, the family of God, that key to our family history is the experience of exile, slavery, and immigration, and that God repeatedly reminds us of that fact as if it were something important to remember and then asks us to show kindness to others who share that reality now. It's something worth reflecting on in the current political climate, internationally, not just in the U.S., that the Jesus whom we are following, whom we are supposed to become like, to be conformed to the image of, was an asylum seeker himself. So in some sense, when we talk about the immigrant or the refugee or the asylum seeker today, Do for others what you would want them to do for you, and whatever you do for the least of these you do for me are not abstract theoretical ideas, because we were there if we only remember our family history, if only we have paid attention to whom it is that we are following. If we are to make room for Jesus this Christmas, then I think the Bible makes clear that we have no choice but to make room for the stranger. Because in welcoming the stranger, we are welcoming Jesus, who was once and still is a stranger himself. Even when it is uncomfortable, unfair, an imposition on us, on our resources, on our comfortable way of life. Now, does this have clear, simple political policy implications for one of the biggest and most complicated crises in our world today? No, I I don't think it does. But does it demand a certain attitude and approach towards the stranger in our midst today? An attitude that is, let's be honest here, totally absent from how many self-professed Christians are approaching this issue. Yes, absolutely yes. This past week, Dan Lumberg uh, let us know about uh, an event that was happening here in Claremont, and Meredith and he were able to go and get a little taste of what some Christians are doing in the face of this crisis in our community. And so Meredith is going to let us know a little bit about what uh, they said at that, at that meeting and what our church might uh, be doing in response to it. This past week at Dan's invitation, he and I went to a meeting in the Presbyterian Church in our town. 
A group had gathered there to learn more about ways that people in our community are preparing to walk with asylum seekers. We learned from the Reverend Dr. Maria Salvatierra that there are circles all over Southern California who are volunteering time and resources to help asylum seekers get their feet underneath them. A lot of the preparation is for two particular groups at the moment who are coming into the Southern California area. The first are a group of 17-year-olds who are in ICE detention, um, detention for minors specifically, and they're about to turn 18, in which case they something like age out of that detention facility and they'll be released, and then they have to wait for their asylum claim to be processed. The second group are parents who are currently waiting all over the country while their children are in various detention facilities. They can be in Texas or Chicago or Iowa. They're waiting there, and hopefully their children will be released. They don't know when. And then they will return to Southern California as well. I learned a lot at this meeting, actually, including that the reason that people come to California is that we are a state where asylum pleas stand a decent chance because as a state, there has been a choice to not adhere to the directive that comes from Jeff Sessions. The directive is not legally binding, but it did say that if a person's country cannot keep them safe and if they are at risk of death at home, that's not asylum worthy. Now, asylum law doesn't say that. Asylum law says that if one's country cannot keep them safe and they are at risk of death, they may come and seek asylum. It also says that if one's country is persecuting them and they are at risk, they can seek asylum. And so California is a state that is choosing to reject the directive, and that gives people a better chance as far as how their asylum case will be processed. She happened to mention that in contrast, for instance, no one can receive asylum if it's being processed in Iowa. And so we learned in this meeting that what is needed are for people who can help pitch in with all sorts of different tasks that help a person or a family get themselves settled for this interim waiting time. It's everything from driving them to various appointments, whether those are medical appointments or registering children for school or getting a passport, or whatever it may be. So there's a lot of driving that can be helpful. There's also a need for gift cards, especially to CVS or to the grocery store. That allows for basic needs and food to be purchased. But sometimes a gift card even, they said, can give a family sort of the chance to give back, that they'll often have a family use a grocery gift card to grab the ingredients that um, are familiar and loved by them and cook a meal for their host family. You see, everyone who is seeking asylum, they need a host home, a place to stay. And so there are people who are offering their homes while people wait. So within each host home, there then is a regional circle, this group of folks that are offering their help to be companions along the way. And this, this journey of companionship, I learned, has also gotten more complicated recently, especially for asylum seekers from Central America. The Reverend Dr. Salvatierra was telling us how Historically, if you rewind, often refugees used to arrive with two things. One was money. They often had some resources available to them as they prepared to leave their home. They were able to gather those, travel with them, and they arrived with some amount of money. Currently, asylum seekers from Central America arrive with very little money, if any at all. The second thing is that asylum seekers used to receive temporary work permits, and they don't anymore. And so if you rewind, you might have had a person or a family with a little bit of money and a work permit. 
That meant that having the opportunity to find a place to stay and a job to do while one waited for their case to be processed, that was a relatively realistic possibility with a bit of help. That is much less doable now because with neither money when they arrive nor a work permit, how does one find a place to live on their own or some odd jobs to do? Instead, work would need to happen under the table, which often is at risk of being not very safe although day laborer centers in our area can also help. And that's where I learned something else new, which is that our lovely town, Pomona, right here, has some wonderful services that can help these people get stabilized while they wait. However, a lot of our host homes are a bit further away. In Southern California, the public transit system leaves something to be desired. And so we are going to be prayerful about this together as a church. We wonder what God might be doing bringing these folks our way right now because this message, this time to explore how the Christmas story invited us to practice hospitality, we had already had a sense that we were going to be talking about asylum-seeking immigration reform, and then this meeting came. And so if you'd like to pray with us, we're just asking God, what would you like us to do? Because seeking asylum in the United States is legal, and whatever one might think about the immigration question overall or what we need when it comes to immigration reform, the reality is there are people here and they are on their way and we have the chance to prepare them room. And so we're wondering what God might have for us in the months ahead. In January, these things are going to start coming in earnest and we're looking forward to seeing what God would have us do to be part. And so for some of us, making room for Jesus this Christmas might mean taking tangible action towards showing hospitality to the strangers in our midst by caring for asylum seekers or refugees or immigrants in our community. And it is also the case that that we can distract ourselves from welcoming the stranger on a more personal day-to-day level by engaging with these huge geopolitical issues. It can, it can become almost a, a cover for us. And I wonder if, in addition to showing hospitality in that way, some of us might need to make Jesus' room a little closer to home. There was a time, oh, eight or so years ago, let's say, when my life was relatively settled. I had my comfortable routines, and oh, I do love my routines, as Meredith will surely tell you if you ask. My routines would let me wake up slowly, reading about the news or sports or pop culture or whatever for an hour or so while eating breakfast before work. And then I could come home after work and watch a show or a game or read a book for a while before bedtime. And, and hey, if I got really into that book and read an hour or two past my bedtime, no problem. I'd just sleep in an extra hour or so the next morning. And the weekends, oh, the weekends. I could just set off for a hike in the mountains and be gone for four hours, six hours, all day. I could head to the beach with a book on a whim. I could do whatever I wanted. And some of you may be sensing where this is going because just shy of seven years ago now, Riley was born. And some of you might be thinking, oh, no kidding, your time got more restricted after having a kid? (laughs) But in all seriousness, this was and kind of remains at times a genuinely hard transition for me. And I remember those first months of being a parent really struggling to reconcile this thing that I had always wanted and looked forward to with how hard I was, how hard I was finding it to accept the, the imposition of it all. I remember being shocked at just how selfish I was in ways that 
aren't obvious until an imposition of that magnitude arrives. Meredith and I have a friend, and, and he may have been quoting someone else when he said this, but, but he said to her once, all of parenting is an exercise in welcoming the stranger. All of parenting is an exercise in welcoming the stranger. Because we have this way of life and it works for us. And then this other human just plops down into it. And this new human doesn't know anything. Like when they should or shouldn't interrupt you. Or when it's appropriate to run around in circles screaming. And when it's not. Just to randomly cite a couple of examples that have come up with us recently. And let me be clear here. I do want to be clear about this. This analogy I am drawing, if taken two one-to-one, would sound like I'm saying that refugees are like children who need to be taught our ways, which is most definitely not what I'm saying. So just to be clear on that. But I do think we all have these impositions in our lives. People who come into our lives like strangers in some sense and disrupt the normal, comfortable flow of it all. Now, I'm not talking about people who are dangerous or abusive. Meredith reminded me that most home invasion movies start with welcoming the stranger. Not talking about that. Just people who are inconvenient, uncomfortable, frustrating, the way a stranger sometimes can be. The people who disrupt the life we would like to be living, given the choice. I remember at one point uh, years ago being really frustrated driving in traffic with public buses and how they stop and start and pull out in front of you. And, and I said to Meredith at one point, these buses are a menace. And later on, as I was thinking about it, I had this sense of conviction, I guess. Meredith says it was because of something she said. I don't remember. But I had this sense that in effect, what I was saying, when you really look hard at the logic and assumptions behind my frustration, what I was really saying was, why can't these poor people just get out of my way? Which is, of course never something I would directly think or say, but my attitude was betraying a serious lack of welcome to the stranger who in their buses were getting in the way of my driving. Some of you may be like me facing a season when your kids feel like that sometimes. Some of you have parents who are feeling more and more stranger-like as the months go by. Some of you have friends or coworkers or neighbors who just seem to pop up at the least convenient times with the longest possible conversations. I wonder if one of the reasons that Jesus tells us that whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him, is that by embracing the imposition that comes with welcoming the stranger, we are practicing something that forms us into the kind of people who also embrace Jesus who can welcome his strange ways into our lives instead of resisting. And I wonder, too, if we are told to welcome the stranger because it helps us to become more like God. Because God, I have to imagine, had a pretty good thing going before creating the universe. The Trinity all in perfect relationship with one another. And in light of that, what clearer picture could we have of welcoming the stranger than God choosing to create, to create us, to welcome us into existence. And so when we welcome the stranger, we are imitating God and how God has treated us from literally the beginning. So this Christmas season, I wonder if we might be able to embrace the imposition of welcoming the stranger 
and to do it joyfully, not passive aggressively like sometimes they do in the Midwest or the South where they accommodate you and they make sure you know just how much of an imposition you are on them all along. Not like that, but joyfully. Whether it's caring for kids or aging parents or whichever strangers stumble into our lives, because when we welcome the stranger, we know that practice cultivates us into people who can embrace Jesus, who, unlike so many in the Bible and in our world today, do not see the strangeness of Jesus as reasons to reject him. And because when we welcome the stranger, we are practicing the sort of kindness and hospitality that God has showed to us and continues to show to us. We want to practice hospitality this Christmas in light of those things. And Meredith is going to lead us in an exercise right now that can help cultivate that in us. Our theme as we approach this Christmas is prepare him realm. And so today we are asking, what does it look like to practice making room for Christ in our hearts and our lives by welcoming the stranger? I'd like for us to think back to that phrase that my friend said before, all of parenting is an exercise in welcoming the stranger. There are actually a lot of different ways we could fill in that blank. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to invite God to call to mind people, groups, or experiences that fill in that blank for us. And so if you would, for a moment, settle in, take a breath. And as there is quiet, even over this podcast, just breathe more and ask, God, what is the exercise in welcoming the stranger that you have for me? All of parenting is an exercise in welcoming the stranger. All of walking with adult children can be an exercise in welcoming the stranger. All of working with that person or staying friends with that person might be an exercise in welcoming the stranger. All of driving, sometimes all of marriage is an exercise in welcoming the stranger. All of taking action to help instead of sitting back. All of our generosity to an asylum seeker or a refugee. All of the time at that party or that family gathering. God, what is the exercise in welcoming the stranger that you have for me? And as God leads you, I would encourage you to write down what you hear from God about that. Perhaps write out that sentence personalized to you and your life. And then just ask, God, is there anything specific you want me to do? And it's okay if you don't hear anything. Our God, all of Christmas, it's an exercise in welcoming the stranger because you, holy, lovely, 
kind, good, wise, patient, you came to welcome we people who so often act unlovely, cruel, angry, impulsively. And your welcome changes everything for us. We are becoming our real true selves because you are guiding us in that way in your love. And so as we see the stranger this week, God, may we welcome them with as much goodness and kindness as you have welcomed us in Christ. Amen.